Hi, you found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of our favorite ordinary things in this extraordinary time of global quarantine are FaceTiming with long-distance friends, the smell of fresh sheets, and all those overdue library books I have that have now had their fines waived. <laughs> and Lisa Joe, mine are headphones, four pairs on four kids, the internet, which is keeping us connected, and my seedlings, my baby seeds under grow lights in the basement. Friends, may you find joy in today's conversation. Get comfy. Here we go. Chrissy, one of the things I missed most this past Easter weekend, it's going to surprise you. I don't, I don't think you can guess what it is. Like, oh, okay. okay. Okay, go ahead. Try. Well, I'd like to think that you missed coming up to Maplehurst for our annual Easter extravaganza. <laughs> so, yes, but the thing that is going to surprise you, the thing I missed the most about the Easter egg extravaganza of abundance at your house is in fact not the hunt so much as the soup buffet and uh. fresh bread lineup that comes afterwards. I actually have sadness right now. I can imagine the taste of all those different soups because if you're new to the podcast, this is going to be news for you. But if you're a longtime listener, you've probably heard us talk about how Christy and John, seven years now, Seven? Right. It, it'll be eight years that we've lived here this summer. So I think this would have been the eighth annual Easter egg hunt where the whole neighborhood descends for the most epic hunt of over 2,000 eggs you've ever seen. <laughs> but what you don't realize, the best part is that the kids feast on all the candy. But what the adults are really excited about, those of us who've been long time behind the scenes friends, all bring a big old crock pot of soup. And there are like, I feel like last year, there are nearly eight different soups. There are all these thick, rich, beautiful soups. And then one of the best parts is that we have friends who are, the husband is a baker and he brings bread. I mean, so fresh that in some occasions he's actually arrived at the hunt in the morning, put the bread in the oven and then pulled it out in time for soup. Oh my gosh, that cracked fresh bread with the thick butter and the soup. My mouth is so sad right now that I did not get to experience a plethora <laughs> of now what I think of as Easter soups at your house. <laughs> You're right. I, I could not have predicted the soup longing, but it makes so much sense now that you've explained it. And actually, I don't think you're the only one, Lisa Joe. I had a text, you'll love this, on um, Good Friday from the wife of the bread baker <laughs> telling me that she was making the carrot lentil soup that oh. I make every year and that she was thinking of us and um, even though we couldn't be together. So you are not the only one who is thinking fondly. Who's grieving <laughs> the soup. Well, I think maybe I'll make some here at home. I haven't usually because I feel like it's like pearls before swine is how soup is in front of my family. <laughs> <laughs> they do not appreciate it the way the rest of us do, but maybe I'll make a big old helping for myself. I remember last year I made um, baked potato soup, but actually you make mm -hmm. it with cauliflower instead of potato and it's super, super delicious. I know it doesn't sound that way, but it is amazing, probably because of I the remember. amount of cream cheese you add. <laughs> 
and blend into it. Oh, but maybe now I'm going to need to go to the store this afternoon and get the supplies to make a huge batch that I alone can enjoy. <laughs> Lisa, oh. Joe, we are not the only ones who are thinking about um, how different this Easter was. Uh, you know, I think that is what is so strange, but also maybe good about this whole um difficult time we find ourselves in around the world is that we're all going through it together. So you and I, our Easter plans this year obviously were disrupted and weren't what we hoped for or what we anticipated or what we want to do, but we're not alone in that. I mean, right. there's probably isn't a single person listening who didn't have a different Easter, an Easter that, you know, isn't their usual, isn't right. what they wanted. Um, no, You know, we... <laughs> We didn't have Easter with family. We didn't right. have Easter with friends. No one went to church on Sunday. I mean, we're we're not the only ones who who are experiencing this like right. incredibly odd, but, odd thing. But at the same time, what's been so amazing is this communal connectivity through it. Like one of my favorite things, actually, on Good Friday, I pulled up on our computer all these different global church services and celebrations that are being offered. Like. Andrea Bocelli, I want to know how many services people did not tune into because they all wanted to watch his live performance on right. Easter morning that they streamed <laughs> for free. You know, the yeah. Pope was up early doing a blessing that you could tune in for church services across the world from, I was talking to a friend who said, how wonderful this Easter, I'm going to get to watch church in all different time zones. And she was, she mm -hmm. planned her Easter out, like I'll be able to watch the South African service and then the service that's overseas in Costa Rica and then my home church here in the U.S. And wow. in a it's strange way, there does seem to be this abundance that has risen up to mm. fill the gap where we are not eating soup together. There seems to be this soul food that has been so plentiful, dished up, hearty offerings across the globe. And I'd love to hear from folks what it was that you tuned into for mm -hmm. Easter. It'd be really fun for us to know. You can tag Christy on Instagram, Christy Purifoy, and one of my big changes post-Easter is that I'm back on Instagram now, and that's its own story I won't go into, but you can find me at Lisa Joe Baker. I'd just be curious to know, what was your Easter like? What did you tune in for? What did your family do? How did it look different? And in some ways, how was it more meaningful? Because mm -hmm. some of what's happened for us during Holy Week over you know Good Friday and then Easter weekend this year was more meaningful for our family than we've had in the past. Yeah, I you can't be the only one. I know, I guess I'm still processing, Lisa Joe, whether ours has been more meaningful, but it has been different in ways that have been good. So here's yeah. an example. On Good Friday, I made um, hot cross buns for the first time ever. Oh, really? <laughs> and I made them I with Elsa, that. and we had so much fun doing that. And she asked me at one point, um, so I had, when I told her, this is what I want to do. Do you want to do this with me? And I had, she'd asked what they were and I showed her a picture and I explained, I mean, this is traditional on right. Good Friday. This is a traditional food, but we've, we've never done it before, but you know, let's do this. And so later we're halfway through making them. And she said something to me, like her words were strange and it took me a while to understand that. I finally realized what she was asking me was, if this is a thing, why have we never done it before? <laughs> why oh, are we doing it now? Like why yeah. all of a sudden? And so I stopped, I said, oh my goodness, Elsa, that's such a good question. 
And I have an answer. The reason is, is that every other Easter, I'm too busy on this day getting ready for the big neighborhood Easter egg hunt. I'm making that carrot lentil soup ahead of time, and I'm storing it in the fridge, and um, I'm we're still filling eggs, and I'm checking my weather app on my phone like repeatedly (laughs) to find out if it will rain or freeze or something like that. And so. I knew right away, this is why I've never done this before. The other thing that we um, did over the weekend that we don't normally do is we dyed Easter eggs. We, you know, dipped them in the colors and, um, oh my goodness, Elsa loved that. And of course, I grew up doing that, loving that, but um, hardly ever do I do that with my kids again because the weekend is so busy usually and so tiring in a good way. Right. By the end of Easter weekend, I'm always just wiped out with gratitude and exhaustion and all of it, um, that I don't, you know, I don't have the time for these these little traditions. So it's been different for us too. And there's there have been these sweet memories made that are just different and new, but I'm grateful for them as well. And for us, the same, you know, sometimes there's sports around Easter weekend and it ends up being a time of travel, like really busy travel. We're mm. often traveling to your house, so we're on the road mm-hmm. and So we're trying to go to a Good Friday service at our church, and then we know we're going to leave early Saturday morning to go be with you guys, and then we're going to come back Saturday evening and be tired and go to Sunday church. And I mean, these are all good things, right? These are all wonderful things. But because of that, I have struggled in our family to find where's a good rhythm, for example, like reading scripture about like what's happening throughout the day during Easter weekend. You know, I would, I've always been interested in trying to picture what was that like for Jesus. I mean, the passion is this idea of like following in his footsteps. What was this passion week like and this weekend in particular? And so one of the things that happened in our house that was surprising is because our church can't meet all together, they've sent out really wonderful resources to suggest to families. And often I'm overwhelmed because there are too many. There's so many great resources. But one of the things that surprised me is they said a local Christian radio station here was offering what they called Walk with Jesus. And just during Holy Week, you could sign up for these text messages where they would send a text alert out every time something new happened in the narrative throughout the course of the whole Holy Week. And they tried to align it in like the right timing too in the day, like when that would have happened. And I realized we don't share the same time zone as Jesus would have been on. So they adapt for that. So we can experience like if it was morning for him, it would be morning for us. And so, for example, when they were you know, about to enter Jerusalem and they had Palm Sunday, there's the text alert, Jesus is entering Jerusalem now. And and then there's like an hour later, a text alert, Jesus is turning over the tables of the moneylenders. And it was like really weird to start experiencing it in real time. And my kids who, as you know, if you try to get kids to do something, they're totally resistant. And so I took the opposite approach and said, I'll just let you know, like if there's a new ping, but I will go and kind of yell into their bedrooms, oh, I just got a new one. And I'm so surprised even the teenagers are like running into the room, sitting down. And what happens is when you get that ping, you then click a little link and it plays for you that passage of scripture, the relevant passage with some music. So each episode is like three to five minutes. It's really short. It's kids' attention span. And it's given us time to talk. And so come Monday, Thursday, you know, the night where they're sitting down to celebrate Passover and he's going to go out into the garden and we know on Friday he's crucified. Um, That Thursday evening of Holy Week, we had a huge windstorm at our house and all the power went out in our entire area. 
And it's, you know, spring now, so it's pretty light out still. But where our dining room table is, it's a little darker. So around six, seven at night, it's still pretty dark. So instead of doing any kind of fancy Passover meal, even coming close to it. Like I just planned to make like some kind of meal, not Passover-ish, but hope we would sit down, wondered how would I talk to them about scripture? What would we do? Well, that went out the window because we couldn't really read and we couldn't cook. So Peter went and got our Passover meal from Wendy's and came home with (laughs) hamburgers and chicken nuggets. And we sat at the table and I'd lit candles. And because we were all sitting there, the ping came in and said Jesus and his disciples sat down to celebrate Passover meal. And so as we were eating, I kid you not, Christy, our burgers and our nuggets, we were also listening to these readings about what it was like for Jesus and his disciples to sit and eat a meal together. And one of the things that struck me so much, I was listening to Pastor Tim Mackey from Bible Project talk about this earlier. He said, You know, in Jesus' most profound lesson to us, when he's instituting this new covenant of his body and his blood, he's talking to us about how he wants the church to be going forward. He doesn't do it with a lecture. He doesn't write out bullet points. He doesn't deliver a treatise that's written out and passed down through the generations. He gives us a meal. Here's a meal that the Israelites had been practicing for hundreds of years, and then he adapts the meaning of that meal to reflect his new story going forward. And so, as we're sitting, like, I kid you not, eating our burgers and our nuggets and listening to the story about Jesus and what his disciples were experiencing, when it was done, Zoe says to me afterwards, I just, this is why I love blackouts. They just bring people together. That's kind of how the whole world has felt, you know, so much of life as it is has been blacked out. But here we are so connected and focused in Mm. on this global story now around Easter in a way we might not have before. And uh, so that Mm -hmm. has been really meaningful for us to have experienced what this journey of Jesus was like in real time, including all throughout Good Friday, the moments Mm -hmm. of his progression toward death. But then the same on Sunday, you know, his resurrection again, those notifications pinging in early in the morning have been I just surprised. They've surprised me how much they've impacted me. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, I love that so much. I, I can just feel it like sort of goosebumpy, <laughs> that <laughs> sense of like walking through an old story, but in real time right. and feeling, yeah, each new twist of the story as if it were happening fresh, which... Really, that's the point. That's the point of Easter is that every year we circle back around in the same story, right? We right. tell the same stories. We in, we sort of inhabit those stories again. We um, Our life is shaped by these stories again because these stories are true. So these stories are incredibly powerful. Um, I don't know if your kids would know this, Lisa Joe, or it's probably, I don't know if it's talked about in your church, but in our church and in... Um, liturgical churches, Easter isn't just Sunday. Do you, do you know this? Is this I, a thing for you guys? So I did not know this, and yet I'm not surprised because you're always telling me Christmas is not just Christmas Day. So right, <laughs> it right. makes sense that Easter is the same. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So just like we have Christmas tide, we have Easter tide. And um, if you can uh, imagine, so for if you imagine the church calendar, I I think it's actually more helpful not to picture one of those calendars with like all the boxes, you know, yeah. when you flip a page and yes. flip a page. Yes, yes. Um, I think the word calendar is 
not maybe the right word, but picture instead a circle, like the year is a circle, yes. the four seasons, right? Right. And so as we move through the year, we're moving around the edge of a circle, kind of like a big pie. And so at each point on the circle, we're in a different season. So um, Easter is also a season and it begins on the feast day, the Sunday of Easter, Resurrection Day. And actually, I love this, Lisa Joe. Um, Easter as a season is 50 days, so it is longer than Lent, which huh. is also a long, long season, but a hard season. Right. Those 40 days, you know, the, that period of 40. And so Easter, I think it's really appropriate. And I want to remember that Easter is a longer season and that there's such grace in that, that we're given this ample space in which to celebrate and feast and lean into and be shaped by this story of new life and hope. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I want to remember that, especially <laughs> this year, because this year is so weird and different. And mm. even though I think we've done a good job here of reflecting on the ways that it is sweet and good, um, it also, there are sorrows and there are strange disappointments and there are hard aspects too, but I feel like, okay, we've been given 50 days. We've been given a season mm. um, to sort of lean into what maybe on Sunday morning we weren't ready to feel all the way. You know, maybe we just weren't there, especially if we weren't in church <laughs> with our church right. families. But I think the good news is, hey, that's okay. Like, just keep leaning in that direction. And so, I don't know. I don't really know what that's going to look like for me, for my kids, for our family. I mean, like most people, we're going to go on staying at home. We know mm -hmm. now um, that the kids won't be going back to school this year. Like this weird new normal is actually the new normal, at least for a while. Um, and I'm not sure what that means for Easter. What does it look like to to celebrate, to feast, to um, like invite this good news into our lives, but to do it quietly at home with only very occasional trips to the grocery store? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I know. I think part of what's been interesting for me this year when I think about Easter, the story we're so familiar with, is what I like about you saying it's more than a day, it's a season, is that sometimes we do get caught up in the day and the colors of the day and the eggs and the baskets, and we can get wrapped up in did the kids all smile for a picture? Did we get that moment? Was everyone polite in church? Did we remember to call the grandma or the great grandma? Did anyone get offended? Did the food get burned? I, all these things that Easter is not. Like, it's not those things. That isn't what it's supposed to be. That's not the story we're living. And when I think about Easter as more than a day and as a season, it's a life, it's a narrative that we're part of. And on this podcast, we love stories. We tell them. They're the meat and potatoes of what we do here. So if Easter is a bigger story than a day, then the fact that we couldn't celebrate this day in the way that we're used to is actually, it's, it's liberating to realize we don't have mm. to feel like we missed out somehow. Instead, mm -hmm. I think for me, what's happened is it's really invited me into the deeper understanding of what is the story of Easter beyond what happens in church, beyond what yeah. my normal Easter schedule looks like. Like, what is it? And so, in a complete break with tradition, I <laughs> I will tell you, I shared this with Christy beforehand and said, Christy, I'm going to tell this story. I hope it's not too crazy. But everybody <laughs> knows how much I love movies. There is actually on my mom's bookshelf growing up this wonderful book called The Gospel According to Peanuts. And, you know, Peanuts is that cartoon 
strip written with Snoopy and Charlie Brown mm-hmm. and Lucy and illustrated by Charles Schultz, who was a believer. And this theologian had done this amazing expose of this cartoon strip. And he would have all these different strips and then he'd have analysis underneath about how the gospel could be seen through this teaching. Anyway, so because of that, I've always felt like really though, for me, it's like the gospel according to binge watching or movies or TV because it's like (laughs) where I meet Jesus, all right? It's just the truth. It's how I see God work in the world. And so for us during Holy Week, we're getting these text announcements of this real-time experience of Jesus. And it made Jesus feel like a real person who actually woke up and had breakfast and then he had been up all night. And at four in the morning is when Peter betrayed Jesus, when he denied him. I mean, Peter had been up all night. Like when you get that text come in at four in the morning, you realize, oh, he'd had quite a grueling night up to that point. And Zoe said to me later, she said, oh, when Peter denied Jesus, it wasn't like he was on trial and people were like, did you know this guy? She said it was kind of snuck in, right? Like he was tired and he was at the fire and somebody just kind of asked him casually. And I said, yes, yes, it just got that snuck in. And so for me all week, it felt this building momentum, like a plot line of a good movie with really strong tensions and um, antagonists and protagonists. And and so then on Friday night, I was, I ended up watching when the power finally came back on late at night and we'd been up with our kids and whatnot. I had napped in the afternoon, so I had extra energy. And so I stayed up and watched not one, but two of the Liam Neeson Taken movies where he is rescuing his daughter from some kind of abduction. And I've never watched them before because I'm not a fan of super violent, but they're PG-13. And yet I warn you, do not watch these with children, I don't think. I skipped Mm. parts of it. Why am I sharing this with you at an Easter episode? Here's why. (laughs) Because on that Friday night when we imagine Jesus being caught and tried and then crucified and dying in this incredibly gory way for us. Sometimes I think because Easter has felt like this one day and Mm -hmm. these specific events that we do tied to this one day and we forget that it's this huge story, we can, I feel like, tame Jesus and tame what happened in that weekend down to sort of a quiet pacifist who stood in a garden and then we have beautiful feelings about him being raised. And when I watch this movie that is scary because his daughter is terrified and this father is terrified to get to his daughter to rescue her and how he moves heaven and earth to get to her and what he suffers on his own person to get there and what he is prepared to walk into dark, scary alleyways and back back street fights and jumping off planes, trains, and automobiles. There is a moment at the end of that film where he comes crashing through the door to get her from this very scary situation. And he is beaten and bruised. He is bloody. He can hardly stand. He has a limp. But he gets to her and she turns and looks at him and starts sobbing. And she says, Daddy, you came. You came for me. And in that moment, I just started weeping. I walked through and told Peter, that's what Easter is about. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right there, man. It is about a father who was desperate to rescue his children. And Jesus was wildly courageous and offered himself up, the whole of himself, 
knowing full well what would happen to him. But there was a battle happening on the spiritual level we won't know until one day we get and see with our own eyes what that place looks like. There's a God who ripped open the heavens on behalf of his own son in order to get to us. That story is so powerful. May it not be limited by my 24-hour version of Easter. Like, yes, the story goes on way beyond that. It transcends time and heaven and eternity. What Jesus did, that radical act of a father desperate to get to their kids. So I kid you not, man, Liam Neeson preached to me (laughs) on Easter weekend in a way that I will always remember. And at the time I was watching this movie, these text messages are pinging in. Now he's been betrayed by Judas. Now he's been hauled before the Sanhedrin. Now they've accused him falsely. Now he's being pinned to a cross. And that juxtaposition, again, shook me, I think, out of my very routine way of looking at Easter and realizing it's a narrative that's got such massive repercussions beyond a 24-hour period. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've never seen those movies. <laughs> yes, and you don't you don't need to. You can just take, I, I still yeah take the I metaphor I don't think for I will. me and move right along. <laughs> They're not high quality, but they are compelling. <laughs> but I applaud you, and I am glad you shared that because that is the power of story. It it reminds us of what's true, and not just what's true out there in storyland. Let's call right. it <laughs> right, but in this land yes. right now, yeah, like actually the world we live in. I think um, maybe some of us are a little more aware of that right now, because with this global pandemic, I think we all have a sense that we are living through a story right now. Yeah. We don't know how it will end, um, but but we are living through something historic and difficult and unusual, and I think we all have an awareness of that, and it came on as unexpected. But I think we're all realizing now that, oh, yes, <laughs> Um if we thought we weren't living in a story before, that was probably just an illusion. Um, but definitely now we know we're living in a story. And so I think telling stories, you know, classic stories like that one that follow, you know, those those classic narratives remind us um, of the story we are always living in. Mm. And so, yeah, whether it's a film or a good book or sometimes just tuning into the news and saying, yeah, these things are happening in our world. Um, it can kind of tune our eyesight toward the world beyond, if that makes sense. Because, yeah. um, you know, here's the thing, Lisa Joe. you and I, we go on and on about ordinary life. This podcast is about the richness and the depth and the wonder and the mystery and the magic and all of it of ordinary life. But we need stories to sort of tunnel into that. Mm. Because when you stay on the surface of ordinary life, it just seems so ordinary. Yeah. It can seem like nothing is happening. It's more like that movie Groundhog Day. Yes, which we also day just recently watched. After yes. day. <laughs> day after day, same yes. after same. Yes. And so as if ordinary life is has, has no meaning and is dr- drained of meaning. Mm. Um, and maybe that's what this 50 days of Easter is. Is, is like 50 chances to remember, okay, we're not actually doing anything super special today. Um, honestly, I don't know if I can keep up celebration for 50 days. That I feel like takes a kind of commitment that I may not have <laughs> right <laughs> yes, now. <laughs> no, let's be real there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet I have 50 chances to remember the story, to remember that, oh yeah, this isn't just ordinary life. And that's true, not just during Easter, right? Right. That's true. Right. Because all when I year. think about when I think about that daughter, and this is why I watched movie number two for Taken, 
is that, so she had all these days afterwards with her dad and, um, you know, in the most ordinary thing ever, he takes her to go and do her driving lessons to get her driver's mm. license. You know, is how the second movie starts. It's so domestic. It's so ordinary, mm. but they are still processing this extraordinary event that happened. And I realized the 50 days, the leaning back into life, but that life is marked forever by what yeah. happened. So you don't even have to wake up every day and find a new way to celebrate it or mark mm-hmm. it because you are marked by it. I think yeah. that's the difference. Like we bear it in our souls. It's marked in our bodies. That change is a real thing mm-hmm. that we don't have to find a way to remember it because we lived it. Mm-hmm. And so the 50 days is like saying, step now into the through this door of Easter and now you're on mm-hmm. the other side and your story is different forever because of what you walk through. Yeah. Yeah, and it does change everything. It changes everything, even in particular ways that I think we we need right now in this time where so many of our fears have been laid bare, mm. our fear of death, our fear of maybe bankruptcy or losing everything we have, our fear of being alone, you know, all, whatever our fears are. We're very vulnerable right mm. now, <laughs> and our mm-hmm. fears have been brought to the surface, both I think individually and as just as in the larger culture. So our fears are right there on the surface. They're not very deep like they normally are. And so in that sense, maybe um, we we can kind of recognize how much we need this good news and how much has changed if it's true. If it's true that um, that we have life to look forward to, if it's true that death has been defeated, then um, I may still have these fears, but they become smaller. They become things I can set aside and I can live in more hopeful more hopeful ways if I'm remembering every day this story that's changed everything. You know, fear is such a real word these days. When you wake up every day looking at the statistics from the world around us, and Mm. today when we woke up, it said that New York has more cases of COVID-19 than any other country. I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. It's so wild. And had a conference call with my family in South Africa as we were all online chatting to each other today. And I think those fears are so real. And during the season of Easter and Holy Week, one of the other resources that was really amazing, I know you were following along with this too, Christy, is what Biola University does. They have this project called the Lenten Project, and they send readings out every day. And the reading that came out on the weekend of Easter talked almost exactly word for word what you just said, which is why it struck me so much. The author says, our once concealed human fears are now on full display. Health fears, financial fears, the fear of chaos, the fear of criticism when we voice unpopular opinions. At the center, though, seems to be the fear of our own death. And then this answer that she offers is so powerful because she says, as paradoxical as it may seem, the perfect answer to death was death. Remember, you and I talked a few episodes back about Zoe and how she said she's coming to understand death like a gift, that Mm -hmm. Jesus took the fear away so we can unwrap death, and inside of it is this gift of life. So she says, as paradoxical as it may seem, the perfect answer to death was death. On the day we remember today, Jesus, the only human who knew no sin, was made to be sins, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The full meaning of the Passover was revealed. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who will lift us up? 
the one who gave himself to be lifted up on a cross. For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Death to the believer has become the opposite of a sentence. It is, thanks to Jesus, entry into his glorious kingdom, the completion of our redemption. And so I think when we think about our fears and what they reveal about us, and if ultimately our fear is death, what an amazing season to be walking through carrying those fears during a place and a time in culture and history that we remember a God who came to defeat death and thereby promising that all those other fears we have, that we can trust Him. We really can trust Him like that good Father who is literally moving heaven and hell to get to us. Well, Lisa Joe, I'll say it once, and maybe you and I will just touch base and say it 50 times, but He is risen. He is risen indeed. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link. 